Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and I do think I was meant for more than this. <laughs> Today, we're talking about Minute 56, which begins with Phillips telling Peggy to keep it to herself and ends with Howard saying he can drop him on the doorstep. Joining us on the show today, we have Mike Ravagno, host of the podcasts The Superhero Show Show and Movie of the Year. Welcome to the World of Movies by Minutes podcasting, Mike. Hello, and thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. The famousest last words as we start recording, <laughs> Mike says, I mean, it's only a minute. <laughs> you know, yeah, in preparation, I watched it a handful of times and took some notes, and I was like, I don't. I don't know how I could take more notes. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if those are my dying words. <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. Uh, well, we are starting this minute. We're finishing what Colonel Phillips said uh, last time to Agent Carter, telling her to keep her thoughts to herself. And, uh, you know, I, I guess I wanted to start with uh, with your thoughts, Mike, on on Colonel Phillips and Tommy Lee Jones, since we don't really get to see him the rest of this week. Uh, and this is your one fleeting glimpse of him in the film. How do you feel about Tommy Lee Jones and Colonel Phillips? In general, fan of Tommy Lee Jones. Big, big old crotchety guy. I've loved him since I probably, you know, introed Batman forever. And then and the uh, yeah. And then so I think he's perfect. Uh, in this role for that, that he has that gruff exterior tiniest heart of gold underneath all the wrinkles uh and so i think as as the colonel he he kills it he's a very fun character here and the way that he just barks that that uh you know the end of this sentence to peggy mm -hmm. is pretty perfect just pretty perfect keep that to yourself well <laughs> and that he's pointing like that's a power move uh -huh. to be looking down at a map and talking and pointing is a power move, and I uh, I've been trying to model that around the house, and it it so far as it doesn't have the same impact. But I'm just saying, like it's a power move, and I aspire to greatness to Tommy Lee Jones' greatness. Not even looking, just pointing and growling one sentence. Exactly, point and growl. His his gruffness is equal opportunity, right? Because when we first meet Peggy, I, not first meet when the Peggy first meets the recruits, what minutes and minutes and minutes ago, probably a year ago in your guys's lifetime, uh, <laughs> and she punches uh, the bully guy, uh, yeah, Gilmore, and he's Gilmore, yeah, he's for it. He's just roughness, like stand up. But now we're seeing Peggy get it for the first time. It's like the that the allyship it does have some cracks. Yes, yeah, absolutely. But it, at least he is. You're right. E E O G equal opportunity gruff. <laughs> EOG. Maybe that's you're not being gruff enough. You're not growling enough, Pete, when you try it. I mean, you can point and look away, but you still have to add that growl. Oh, I'm know. probably still whining. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. That's right. probably your flaw. Fatal flaw. Peggy at this point, though, you'll notice in the first three seconds of this minute, she is, I don't know, I, I use this word and it makes me sound like an old perv, but her breath is like she's heaving breaths. Like you can tell she's out of breath. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry for the ASMR, but I, just to get my point across, and and for the for possibly the first time, I feel a real electricity as Steve leaves the room. That maybe I am verifiably, like objectively wrong, and that now the crush is in full force. Well, all right. So you're saying that that Steve looking at the map and mm -hmm. walking out of the tent 
very decisive move on his part. He says, you know, I know what I'm going to be doing now. And you're saying that to her, that's the, oh, my God, I just totally fell in love with this guy moment. Well, I just think she's. Yeah, I mean, I, so Mike, I, I have a longstanding issue with when their love begins. Mm. And it's possible that him showing such decisive action, really leveling up his like embracing hand to glove, the the new abilities that he has. And there's a man who takes action and she is there for it yeah i buy that he's no longer just like a uso figurehead yeah and and like chorus girl he's had the heart uh and so she she's liked his brain and his virtue right throughout the rest of the movie and so i could see that especially like here they're both wet and he's he might go die and so yeah i think it's very emotionally and physically charged uh and so the i think the flirtations that are bubbling over i totally buy that yeah this is that four weddings and a funeral is it raining i didn't even notice i didn't even notice it it feels so like obviously it takes place in the 40s but this scene feels so this minute feels so 40s with the the heaving breath and then the rain and i just imagine like hepburn Definitely, like in the Philadelphia story or something, right? Like just big and overdramatic. Totally. That's exactly where we are. I guess I can see that coming into the minute, but like in context of everything that we've had, like her reaction here to me is so much the, oh crap, what just happened? I don't, like, this is another uh, conversation we've been having, Mike, about Peggy's intentions on coming here because she comes unofficially as she said, you know, she just, she wanted, it it seems like she wanted to kind of talk to Steve, maybe give him a pep talk or something accidentally spills this whole thing about the 107th where he is, which is what, you know, spurs him onto this, uh, you know, chasing down Colonel Phillips and having this conversation with him about Bucky. I would inject controversial opinion if, as, as to whether she intentionally or accidentally divulged the 107. You may continue. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Right. Did she, right. Did she purposefully say, oh, by the way, this is the 107? Like, did she know that he had somebody here? I mean, all of this, it, the, the movie really seems to say, Later in like the later in this week, none of that actually was her intention at all. It all just seems <laughs> very coincidental. Uh, but still, this is the debate we've been having. Like how like why did she come here? Did she have a mission to say something to Steve that would be a catalyst that would get him actively doing something? Because she knows that Erskine had bigger plans for him uh you know she she knows that he's he has he like he's there's more to him than just being this this person who's uh, putting on these shows even though he seems very resigned to it and so you know we were talking last week how this moment where she sees him walk away like if she had a little smile on her face at the end that would be the moment that would trigger oh she designed all of this right to get him doing something but it's not there and so but I it is I later in this minute. I contend it's later in this very minute. May it please the court. And especially she's a master spy. Like, you know, she, she's been in the world for a while. It doesn't kind of make sense. Right. So she's like, well, Howard and I were on our way to get fondue. And we were just like, maybe we were in there. I wanted to say hi to our old buddy, Steve. It makes much more sense because like the SSR, is that what S.H.I.E.L.D.'s called right now? The I yeah. get the acronyms. strategic scientific reserve. The SSR is like who's in charge right now. It's kind of all over the place, so it makes sense if the left hand doesn't know what the right is doing, and and Colonel Phillips has his own like mil- he he's involved in the SSR, but he's you know he's a military man. He has to do things by the book. It makes sense for the spy side of the SSR to be like, look, we gotta use the super soldier, Peggy. Go there and honeypot him a little. <laughs> 
And and that's exactly <laughs> it. My contention is right there. The equivalent of her wry smile at the end of her little, you know, divulgence is I can do more than that. Mm hmm. Right. Okay. So you're saying. So you're saying this whole time Howard has been in his plane, yeah. tapping his watch. Come on, Peggy. How, you speak don't think he's sitting up. at we the got... airfield? You don't think he's sitting at the airfield? Because otherwise, if he's not already in the airfield, he would be with the showgirls, also wearing one of those helmets. Very true. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, where, where's my Where's my helmet? Where's Where's S? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know what? The fact that it does seem I, I I run into this issue because it's all like she's here unofficially. Does that mean Howard was here unofficially, or was he here with Colonel Phillips? Like, why is Howard here? Did Howard bring her? That's what it seemed. That's that's why I feel like the spy side of the house has yeah, yeah, a mission. Because yeah. why would Howard just also be there? unofficially as well right mm -hmm. i think the two of them are in cahoots well because yeah because if he i i guess the uh one way you could look at that is if he was here officially he would have known that steve was here he probably would have been at the show because you know he was involved in the experiment that turned steve into who he was so why would he not be checking up on steve and and talking to him and seeing how things were going and you know how much he could bench press these days and whatever the case may be as far as you know scientists right looking in on their experiments. The fact that he's just in the plane and, and the first time we see him is is as he's flying the plane, I guess that speaks to, yes, maybe you're right. <laughs> That's This is me giving in to you, Pete. <laughs> I love it so much. Howard Stark is not somebody who lets a stage show go by without him trying to steal a spotlight. So if That's he was there right. officially and Colonel Flip's knew he was there, then he would like introduce the show or something. Like He would come out and dance with the girls a little bit before Rogers came out. That's just Howard's vibe. He's not sneaking around. No. he's And here, he's sneaking around. All right. All right. I can't believe it took this long for you to give that up. I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> I just, okay, well, here's here's the issue that I have. Because I, I can see all of that. I just feel like the script doesn't give enough to, like, make the case firmly. And I don't think Joe Johnston ever really directed it that way. So it ends up feeling a little loosey-goosey. Yeah, it's, it's headcanon. Yeah, it's it's all headcanon. It could exactly. and, and and the fact that this this like you know this most of this scene wasn't actually in the script, right? Well, that's another thing that's really interesting. In the script, they go from him marching out of the tent uh, and Peggy kind of going after him to the plane. Huh. And I I thought that was really interesting that this entire conversation between the two of them was uh or, or no we see that we see we do cut into the show and we see the girl looking for her helmet that's our little cutaway as we transition from one to the other and so i guess that's a question i have for the two of you is like uh would it have worked to do that i mean do we need to have this scene between the two of them i think so Be like it, it sets out the emotional stakes whether it, it sets it like it adds nuance to peggy's character whether it's her starting to fall for steve or her being a spy master it, it gives that question, I think, deepens who, who she is in the movie then. Right. One way or another, she's going to be able to support him. And we need to hear his we need to hear his turn. And we like I, I feel like there is this scene gives us a sense for both of them to turn mm -hmm. that she has in my headcanon uh, achieved her goal, which is make this guy into a super soldier, give him the motivation and the tools. Uh, and he needs to realize finally He's been pushed too far, and he is going to take some something into his own hands. Right, because we it, we've kind of lost the determination that 
free super soldier Steve had, right? He tries five right. times to enlist and then they're like, well, now you're in the system and you have people in charge and you're going to follow military orders, even yeah. though you're just a showgirl. Uh, so I think though, what are you going to do? Walk to Austria and his, if that's what it takes. And it's like, there's the Steve Rogers. We got to know who yeah. get beat up in the back of a movie theater. Yeah. That's who he is. He's there with his, uh, with his trash can shield. <laughs> that would be nice if he actually exchanged it. Like if he'd brought it along just, like, be, just in case. That'd that be, be amazing. Amazing. <laughs> much worse than what, like he, he has his flimsy what? show shield and that he steals one of the, the can can girls helmets. These are not military grade. They're not. It's, like, all, it's all staged pieces. He really yeah. is yeah. like, well, I should look the part. These won't save me at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll even talk more about the shield right. in, the coming, uh, in the coming days about that. Cause yeah, I, I have questions. Boy, do I have questions about that. The, another thing that I think is interesting about kind of like the way that this is constructed, and I'm curious how you two read this, in the last uh, in last week, last uh, minutes, when we had Steve talking to Colonel Phillips and trying to find out about Bucky, when Colonel Phillips uh, said to him, he's like, you know, I, I recognize the name, I'm sorry, son, and that's kind of, you know, Steve's turn it's like he he has a moment where it seems like he's kind of grieving about Bucky and then he instantly his focus shifts to well are you going to go save the rest of the people and like save all the other prisoners and you know they have that whole thing and that's what sets Steve that's why he leaves he seems resolute on going in to save the rest of the prisoners that Philip seems kind of you know will get to it at some point as we win this war but at this point as Steve comes in suddenly it's it's like he has now decided Bucky is actually alive and it it seems like they've kind of shifted that and I don't know if that is just part of the rewrite process to kind of put this to put this scene like inserted into the the script as it already wasn't there or or what but does it seem like a strange shift in in mental focus for him to go from i'm going to go save the troops to i'm going to go because i think bucky's alive i think like see right he's virtuous he's courageous uh, he cares about others but he's still what, what do we think at this point early 20s and so for him to be like bucky's dead i should go save other people one Steve doesn't know how to deal with his grief until endgame and he starts support groups, right? Like he's somebody who's like, I'll just do action instead of dwelling on my feelings. But I could see somebody at his age just going back and forth between like, um, oh, the, my brother figure is dead. I'll save everybody else in his honor. And then be like, no, he's not dead. I have to see for myself. Like he's not going to take anybody's word. And he's just kind of, you know, young and dealing with this kind of grief for the first, I guess his parents are dead, but for the first time in, as an adult. I, yeah, I guess I can see that. Pete, do you have any thoughts on that? As far as like, you know, the, that shift in his thinking here? I actually don't think it's a necessarily a shift. I think it's a pile on. I think it's just the emotional energy of realizing that he has made a choice in his head that he's going to do something about whatever is out there. And now he has the tools and the resources to do it. He knows exactly where they are. He's about to steal a Jeep and he's got that kick ass uh, theater helmet. So <laughs> he's got everything he needs to... <laughs> to head out and and do the job. So whether Bucky's alive, whether he's just saying those words because they keep they they keep him like uh hopeful, I, I think it's I, I think that's believable transition for me. Yeah, I I I, I can see that. And, and both of your points I think make sense as far as that shift. It was just it like looking at it and then realizing it wasn't in the script. I'm like, well, it's interesting that they made that shift and it made me think that they were trying to remind us about, you know, he is actually there is an element of him looking for Bucky still. I also wonder if if it's not in the script, if Evans just said it forgetting what the scene that 
right now, Captain thinks it's Buck's dead. (laughs) The order of filming could get confusing. They totally retcon the script later. Right. Uh, well, regardless of how it plays, I think it makes for uh, the whole point of it is I, I like the the change that we finally have in Steve. He's kind of closed the doors on the chorus girl days, and he's he's kind of moving forward on saying, you know what, there there is more. He's acknowledging to Peggy that you know um, I meant more for this, and so now he is actually going to take a stand and he's going to do something. And this is yet another step in the line of Steve Rogers not following orders and breaking the law, essentially. He's a pretty bad <laughs> soldier. Like, with what when it drills down to what a soldier needs yeah. to do and is, he's not the best soldier. He is the best idea of a soldier. That's what he <laughs> is. He has an idea of what a soldier is and he absolutely lives up to that. Right, from like the movies, but like in real yeah. life soldiers need to follow orders and go in as yeah. a unit and be together. It's rare that you yes. would have a soldier running alone and handle things. <laughs> Who doesn't tell anybody anything. <laughs> Just like militaristically, it's bad. Soldiers shouldn't shouldn't lie when they're filling out their forms. Yeah. I'll be back. I gotta go do some stuff. Wink yeah. and he's out. <laughs> Can I tell you what I thought was so cool about the chorus girls before we move on? Yeah, the chorus girls. I think they gave the chorus girls smallpox scars on their arms. Oh, really? Did you notice that? That's a nice touch. Wow, that's nice detail. Yeah, that is a great little detail. I think that is a nice detail. And and uh, I had not uh, noticed that. Uh, but it's possible they didn't give the girls uh, smallpox scars. I only really see it on O the first helmet to go, but it's pretty clear. You mean, and you mean you, you, right. OSA? You, Wait, US, what country do you I thought it was USO. OSA. <laughs> uh, I only saw it on that one, but I, it's either. She has a very similar scar on her arm to a smallpox scar. The actress does, or they actually did a little attention to detail work, but I started looking up pictures and they look exactly like that. Yeah. What do you know? The other two, it's hard to tell because you don't see the second one's arm very well and the third one's all in shadow. So. It makes me want to go back to the to the Howard Stark or to the uh, uh, pavilion days where mm-hmm. we get some more, you know, montage stuff or maybe even to Star Spangled Man and uh, see if they actually followed through there. I'd never noticed. I don't think we ever. They're always on a motorcycle or yeah. <laughs> something else. I don't think we ever get a good it's shot. It's not my copy is not three. high def enough, but <laughs> we'll try. Check the credits. See if you see a yeah. smallpox scar yeah. applicator consultant. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you need the like the Blade Runner style camera where you can zoom in and yes. spin in three dimensions around the yeah. object. Or Sector thirteen twenty eight. That's how cameras work. Zoom. <laughs> the um, the USA. Girls, uh, this is essentially our picture wrap on these three. They're in the credits as the Star Spangled Singers. Rosanna Holt is A. She's the one who is missing the helmet. Naomi Slights is U, and Kirsty Mather is S. We've been seeing them off and on, uh, you know, for the last several weeks. Um, and I, I believe I pointed them out at one point, but now, uh, since they are uh, no longer going to be a part of the film, we'll just wish them a, a fond farewell. Thank you, USA. Or OSA. Or OSA, yeah. <laughs> ASO. Or, or OSA. <laughs>
Um, all right. So we are, uh, so we're leaving the tent. The only other thing that I, I really wanted to say is, you know, there's some coat swappery in, in the tent. Peggy takes her coat off for some reason. I'm assuming that was just, again, something, probably some business that, that they had to do for the reshoots because out by the Jeep, she has no coat. And in the tent with, uh, uh, Colonel Phillips, she has a coat. So I feel like she came in out of the rain, took her coat took off, her and coat then never off. put it back on. <laughs> well, sometimes you're like, I'm hot. No, I am chilly again. And you just go back That's and right. forth. And and I, Europe weather in the autumn, who knows what time it is. <laughs> like, it, it's all over the yeah, place. Yeah, very unpredictable. <laughs> it, yeah, it is well, November. The, yeah. the other thing, she is in the USO tour wardrobe tent like maybe she took her coat off because she wanted to put some star spangled wear on <laughs> like there was another more more she's uh, like oh vibrant i've been coat. looking for one of these yes. that's a yeah. better fit she's fet- she's looking for something really fetching very fetching steve does change his coat he was in more of that trench coat earlier and now he's putting on a bomber jacket which uh you know it looks it's a good look for him his yeah. costume here i love the like he has the the star spangled man shirt the leather bomber jacket, cargo pants, uh, and then the show shield and helmet and goggles later. But it feels so transitional. Uh, and I would love to know, I like if the, their reasoning is this, but it feels like because he still has some of the show stuff, but it's some militaristic stuff. And he, he is like caught in between. He's really grabbing Captain America stuff. I don't know if it's like dress for the job you want or if he's like, I, <laughs> I need to feel like I am a superhero. So I need some of this stuff here. Otherwise, I'll still yeah. feel like that kid back in Brooklyn. Uh, Completely. <laughs> but this is like a cosplay thing I have not seen enough. And it's it's a pretty sweet costume. That's a good point. I don't think I've ever seen the like pre full cap cosplay. Like who puts on the half and half? Yeah. I want to do it. <laughs> do, do you think he intentionally grabbed the A helmet though? Like, do you, or do you think that he just grabbed the first helmet that happened to be there and it was the A? Like, I, like. I think he, you know, he's like Brandon. He, he's like, I gotta, I gotta do it. I'm Captain America. A. A Nobody, America. Andy, is Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you remember that now, Pete. <laughs> took some time. Took some time. All right. Any uh, any last thoughts about our, our three ladies? Uh, we do have a brief moment in there with Brant's aide, who is trying to find Captain America, who is, of course, not here. Uh, but otherwise, we're about to uh, leave the camp. Any last thoughts about anything with the Jeep or the camp in general before we head to the skies? I love being in the skies. And we'll come back to the camp. I, th- I think if he left the camp in that Jeep, he would get stopped pretty quickly. I think it's hard to steal. In the middle of a war, I think it's probably pretty hard to steal uh, military equipment. But on that line of thinking, where is the plane parked? In a meadow, like they weave in and out of trees. It feels like it might be as hard to take off, right? Well, like, if they, they must have codes. Secreted their way there. Yeah. That's why it's Howard, right? Not somebody else, because he's going to do what he wants. Well, and you know what exactly. they've set up already. We have precedent uh, of hovering things. So this is probably a vertical takeoff Boom. plane. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's a, it's a base. I'm sure they've built some, some, you know, landing strips. It's not. But for uh, a shiny silver stark emblazoned bespoke plane. (laughs) (laughs) You don't think the army would notice? (laughs) You know, but he's, he's a civilian and I think he's, again, if he, 
if he well this this goes down to our question that we had uh, last time did did Peggy come from London unofficially was she just at a camp nearby and she came over unofficially like how far did she have to travel and I think if she came with Stark and they came on on this beachcraft of his that likely this means that they did actually come down from London uh, to go kind of talk to to kind of land here and everything and so I think that would make the most sense is that they actually came down in the plane and they, they staged it. I mean, it's not like people don't know who these two are. And so I'm sure he could call in and say, Hey, you know, we're just stopping in or something. And, uh, and so really the only issue with taking off would be the fact that Steve was on board. And if they kind of secret him on, then I don't think anyone would be any the wiser. And I think to Mike's point, Steve by himself driving a Jeep out of the base would be a lot more difficult because yeah, right at the, right at the gate, they would say, I'm sorry, but you're, you can't just drive out of here. I imagine them putting Steve on a gurney covered in a sheet and just like <laughs> rushing him <laughs> off to the plane. Well, that's one way to do it. Don't move. It, it's very convenient that we don't have to worry about any of that because yes. we instantly just go to the Beechcraft in the sky. This is a 1937 Beechcraft 18 uh, flying through the skies. We get a nice little, uh, you know, CG shot of this plane as it's kind of cruise in the air over uh, Italy slash Austria, somewhere near there. It really wasn't that far for them to get to, or as uh, you know, they said, I think the base was 30 miles in yeah, and they are five miles from the base. So for the plane to only go about 35 miles, it, it seems like it would be a fairly quick trip. Yeah. 30 miles by plane is, I think we get mad at celebrities for less than that or about that right now. <laughs> yeah, that. we do. Yeah. yeah. That's real. Celebrage. <laughs> so now I'm mad that they flew they didn't think about the environment at all, trying to drop off Captain America 30 miles away. They should have let Captain America run. <laughs> He's very fast. I've seen Mad Men. I know how people treated the environment back in this period of time. <laughs> They're just like, oh, just leave my trash on the ground here. It's all right. And honestly, we're going to find out why Howard actually took this plane uh, tomorrow when we, when we return to talk about the minute. Because I think there was an ulterior motive. By Howard. No. To get up in the plane. Not from a Stark. I certainly don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. Um, we're looking. So Peggy pulls out her map. She's showing Steve the map about where Krogsberg is. She says it's between these two mountain ranges. We had a much better map in Colonel Phillips' tent. This thing that she's looking at is like impossible to to decipher. It's like, you know, I don't know. It's It's got all the forests and everything on it. It's just like, from our perspective at least, I can't see where anything is, so... I don't think she can either. I think she's just pointing. <laughs> she's just pointing at stuff. <laughs> it's probably forgot yeah. about a map. <laughs> here's, here's the Why did thing. I bring this etch a sketch? <laughs> well, and it, it's interesting because we haven't really dealt with it yet, but you know, we're getting hints about Steve and his ability to kind of look at something. And essentially, as as you brought up before, Pete, it, there, it's like he has this photographic memory. He's seeing stuff, and he instantly knows where it is. Because I certainly have a question: how he gets to the base so easily once he parachutes out. Uh, and I think it really boils down to him being able to look at this map and instantly kind of have a sense as to where everything is. And uh, assuming he kind of looks when he's jumping out of the plane, he'll be able to figure out where he is on that map. Uh, that's all my guesses. What they glossed over in the montage was just hours and days of land navigation courses and map reading <laughs> skills. Uh, and just like him taking a compass and being like, okay, I'm triangulating my position. How does these this points. work? <laughs> I know I'm big and strong, but 
I don't get it. Or he's so fast, he just kind of like road runners back and forth until he finds the, <laughs> the, the, the Hydra base. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, there are questions. There are a lot of questions. But it's like, uh, but, and you know, I don't know. We've talked about this before with the superhero films. Iron Man was the first one, and we had a big montage of Tony building suits, learning how to fly in the suits, figuring the suits out. And it weirdly feels like with a lot of these later films, like the fact that we had a training montage in the first film means every superhero after that doesn't really need a training montage Mm -hmm. because, you know, Tony had his training montage. Once you got a superpower, you pretty much are able to figure stuff out. (laughs) And I feel like that's kind of where we are with Steve. It's just like, you know what? I already know how to do all these things now. That's one of my pet peeves when, because normally the, the this one's reversed but in most of these movies the villain especially early on when the villain is just a mirror image of the hero they they get their powers later than the hero but are instantly they know how their new physics and bodies work <laughs> and are somehow better it's like they really didn't get a training montage they got injected or built their thing and then two minutes later they're like i'm a master yeah exactly <laughs> It's, you know, villains always have that power. We were just talking about Back to the Future Part 2 in our other podcast, The Next Reel, and talking about how uh, how Biff, old Biff in the future, knows instantly how to fly a time machine mm-hmm. and travel not only back, but also forward back to where he left. And it's just like, really? It took Marty and, and Doc a whole expositional expo- you know, thing to kind of explain all of that. But no, he knows how instantly. It's like It's like the villain trope. Well, it is, but you know what? They're even getting away with it in She-Hulk, right? Because in She-Hulk, they actually give us a training montage, but she already knows how to do everything, mm-hmm. right? Like, <laughs> it's, it's like both. We get the montage, but we don't need it. So, right. I don't, you know. Yeah, not so much stumbling. I don't know. Yeah. I think 88 miles an hour is, is perfectly, re- like, that's so intuitive to be like, I bet that's time travel, baby. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You know what? You're right. It, it, it's so I, obvious. I do think for, for montages, uh, Miss Marvel had a good one. She was pretty bad at her powers for a while. Yes. We got the classic. She falls. And then it's only five feet. Lots of falling. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. that was good. All right. So sometimes they still have training montages. Clumsy teen. You also, <laughs> yeah. This was yeah, a clumsy teen. Coming, teenager, it's right. also coming of age. So it was a coming of age montage. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, we do get the reveal at the end of this minute that it is Howard, in fact, piloting the plane. So that was our big reveal of Howard, which I think, I I don't know, you know, obviously Steve already knew it was him. For the audience, though, it was, I guess, designed to be a surprise. It's weirdly shot how, like, we don't see the pilot, and then suddenly we hear his voice and cut to him, and it's like, oh, Howard Stark is flying this plane. Did it seem like it was supposed to be, like, some big reveal to you guys that, that Howard was here? I don't think so. It just felt like, of course, it was him. Like, I don't want to meet a new yeah. character. And it makes sense. Who else would put their neck out for Steve and Peggy right now? You're right. Just by the law of conservation of characters, it had to be Howard. He's the one who makes sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We will find out um, more about all this in tomorrow's minute. But um, I think that's everything for this minute. Do either of you have any last thoughts about anything here? Or should we uh, pack up and come back tomorrow to talk about the next minute of this? I just can't wait to talk more about that heroic shield he's carrying. <laughs> the tinfoil. Yeah. He's like belted it into the seat next to him. I like picturing it as like, you know, so many times like in, in theater, it's like just made out of styrofoam. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. Something. <laughs> yeah. I like picturing it as just a styrofoam shield. And then he thinks it. No, we'll see how it's this his does. comfort blanket. He's just like, this makes me feel like I could do it. Exactly.
All right. Well, Mike, tell everybody about your podcast and where people can tune in and what else you're up to. Sure. Uh, you can find me over at the Superhero Show Show, where every week we watch and review every live action TV show based on comic books, Woo. which when we started, there were four and <laughs> we could take summers off. And now there are 4,000 and we're neglecting our children and leaving jobs <laughs> and just watching television full time. Uh, and then there's also movie of the year where every season is a different year. And we put a bunch of movies into a bracket to determine what is the most definitive movie of that year. Outstanding. What's a, what's a recent one? A recent uh, movie that, that won? We are about to wrap 1982 or have wrapped. I don't know when this comes out. Uh, so, oh, that one, let's go back because my memory's horrible. But you know what won the first season we did 1999 years ago is uh, Eyes Wide Shut. And for some reason, that's burned into my brain. Oh, interesting. Uh, but everything wow. else, I'm always like, what did win that year? <laughs> uh, 1975, who knows what won that year? I do not remember. It better be Jaws. Oh, no, it wasn't because that's a big, there's a big fight. Because we are Contention. unfortunately a democracy, and one person fought hard for Jaws, and two of us did not. Uh, oh. I think Dog Day Afternoon might have won seventy five. Oh, well, that's oh, that's a good that's one all right. Too. Yeah, I love that's that a pass. <laughs> we'll let we'll let that slide. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. I, I do appreciate no that. But I think movies, comics. I think if your listeners are into that stuff, both of those shows are probably up their alley. There might be some of them in our audience. Who are into that? Yeah. The Venn diagram might be a circle. (laughs) I do want to say, years uh, we haven't, it's defunct right now, but I had a podcast about the OC, uh, the soap opera from the early 2000s. The OC. You don't need to describe it further. Of course we know the OC. we, We would take two or three episodes to talk about one episode of TV, and people were like, that is absurd to take that much time. And then I'm like, this is a minute by minute. What are you talking about? We were absurd. Oh <laughs> so I'm going to shove this podcast down all those naysayers throats. That's outstanding. Yes. There you go. All right. Well, we will have all the links in the show notes for everybody. So check those out. Mike, thanks so much. Uh, you Are you uh, going to be able to join us tomorrow to talk about another minute of this movie? Yeah, I think I should be able to drop myself right at the doorstep. <laughs> right at the doorstep. Perfect. All right. Well, we'll be right at the doorstep as well. Pete, thanks as always. OSA. 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 Until O-S-A. next time, true believers. OSA. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega. And this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. <laughs>